Hi, everyone, and welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And I'm Adam, and I'm pastor to believers and doubters, to unfaithful Christians and faithful atheists. And Jesus wasn't afraid of questions, and neither are we. So each week on this podcast, we're going to talk about one question that you have sent me over Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And uh, friends, this is season two of One Question with Pastor Adam. And in this season, we're going to go live. And so if you have comments or questions that you would like to ask during this uh, episode, feel free to put that in the comment or chat section. And today we've got this really great question uh, from Haley. And it's about this really difficult passage in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark that's all about this thing that's called the unforgivable sin. And what is the unforgivable sin? Haley asks it like this. Uh, People say that the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Okay, what does that mean in layman's terms? Could you give me an example that I might understand? And this is such a big and important question that I wanted to invite one of my dear friends uh, on the show today. And I'm going to bring in Matthew DiStefano. So everybody, uh, say hi to Matthew. Hey, hey Matthew. How you doing, man? What's happening? How are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you? You know, I'm doing okay. Awesome. Well, hey, yeah. thanks for being here. Yeah. And uh, I figured that uh, I would want somebody uh, to talk about this question with me, and especially someone like you who has committed so many sins. Maybe <laughs> some of them are forgivable. Maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, well, you you mentioned like faithless Christians. Is that how you put it? Yes. Faithful atheists. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is a, this is a setup. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Robert is watching. Hey, Robert. Uh, good to see you. Good morning. Uh, and uh, so, uh, Matt, like uh, Matt, has written uh, eight books. How many books have you written by now? Uh, yeah, almost eight. It'll be eight, eight on eight on ten twenty. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I've, I've got a few of them here. Yeah, cool. uh, uh, Heretic. So, I mean, this is just going to be a great conversation. Uh, check out Matt's book, Heretic, all set free. And uh, here's one. It's de- devoted as um, F uh, and then um, a symbol and uh, CK. So yeah. I'll let you figure out. I'll let you guess what that means. The, the, yeah, the power of deduction. You've got yeah. that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Matt also has many uh, podcasts, uh, Heretic Happy Hour, and uh, your latest one, which is, what's the, what's your latest one called? Apostates Anonymous. Oh. It's, like, it's like a group for for people like me. For apostates, for, yeah. for, for people who may have committed the unforgivable sin, the apostates. Well, anonymous. yeah, I tell you what, um, it was one of those things like if you're told this as a kid, you always wonder, did I do that? Right. Yes. I don't know. But I don't know about you, but I was always thinking about that. And then you kind of become a little bit nihilistic if you think you did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, th- I mean, that that's the big issue with this verse. Uh, yeah. I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 12. Uh, it's verse 31 through 32. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it. And then maybe we'll put it in the larger context of what's happening uh, in the gospel passage. But it goes like this. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. That's pretty intense. Yeah, gnarly. Yes. And uh, your your book, All Set Free, deals with uh, is a long meditation reflection on uh, universalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you do with passages like this about like some sins being unforgivable against the Holy Spirit in this age and in the next? Yeah, well, I don't remember exactly what I did with it in that book. I think I covered it, though. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, so yeah, I'm at such a different place than I was then. So I would probably approach it differently now. And sometimes, and this isn't going to be my full answer. So please bear with me. Um, especially to the person who asked the question, like I, sometimes I don't necessarily care what's said all the time. Uh-huh. Cause there's a lot, I mean, that, let's just be honest. Like uh, there's a lot of things in Matthew, especially the gospel of Matthew. That's, um, that, that comes off really harsh that we don't get some of these things in like John, um, so it, it I, you have to take everything that's said with a grain of salt. There's always a theological agenda from the writers and they're borrowing and changing some things based on their own community and based on their own views. That being said, I don't think the point of this passage is to say, if you do this one thing, you're never going to be forgiven. Hmm. Um, I think there's something a l- much more deep going on and shocking. Jesus is always trying. He's always got these layers that like Richard Rohr uses like, um, kind of the onion metaphor, right? Yeah, right? Um, a lot of these teachings have layers and layers and we keep digging. Um, so I, I start with w- the God I believe in is always forgiving. Mm. The God I believe in is always merciful. The God I believe in is always in this posture tour of grace. Um, we get like the resurrected Jesus in, or the resurrected Christ in John's gospel. When he approaches the disciples, it's forgiveness that he's breathing out. That's the Holy Spirit. So to me, it's almost like a logical conundrum. Like if if the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, whatever that is, it's probably like your inability to be gracious and forgive other people. And so how can you expect God to forgive you if you refuse to forgive others? It, it's, it's like if if you and I are wronged with each other, if I've wronged you or you've wronged me, And, and the goal, God's goal is restoration. God's goal is reconciliation, but we refuse to reconcile. How can the whole relationship be restored if we're not living in the spirit or living in the spirit of forgiveness and grace and restoration? So that's how I approach. I, I I don't, I don't approach it as if like you've done this one thing, therefore nothing ever matters because you're never going to be forgiven anyway. And that's a childish way of approaching it, which is how I approach it as a child. It's like a very, um, like kind of obtuse way of, 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 because on the surface it looks like that, but I think there's much, there's much, there's something much deeper going on there. Yeah. I th- and one of the deeper things that's happening is in the context of this passage, 
Jesus is going around and he is healing people. Sure. He's forgiving people. And the religious elite, the authorities come to Jesus and say, uh, by what authority are you doing this? Yeah. Um, and they, they end up saying that, the, that it's actually by, they use the word Beelzebub, uh, which is a demon. And they say that Jesus is, is healing people in the name of uh, demons <laughs> or, or getting authority from demons in order to do this. Yeah. And Jesus says, he, he uses the term Satan. Uh, he says, if Satan is casting out Satan, uh, it, Satan's not going to stand. It's going to all fall down. And that's when Jesus brings in this whole thing about uh, forgiveness and the Holy Spirit and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so it's always interesting to me, and you talk about this uh, in uh, I All Set Free, I think, uh, about, about Satan and how Gerard has helped us, Rene Gerard has helped us understand uh, the Satan and the satanic mechanism, not as some being out there with a uh, red being with horns and a pitchfork, yeah. but as a human mechanism of accusation. Yeah. And so basically what Jesus is saying here, I think, is that if you are caught up in a satanic mechanism of constantly accusing people of being sinful and not being worthy of uh, forgiveness, yeah. then you are going to cut yourself off from forgiveness because you're constantly pointing the finger at other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, I think too often Satan becomes our next like kind of scapegoat, the next yes. ball guy. And we don't take responsibility for the fact that, that we are, and I, and I say we not, not necessarily individually, but like communally, yeah. That's when the satanic mechanism really gets into full swing. Yep. I mean, we see that in Job, obviously, like the friends become say you don't need the Satan figure really in Job, like chapters three through 37 in Job, like the, the community and the so-called friends are Satan. The friends, when they're at their best, they just sit with Job. Yeah. Right. And it's when they start trying to find answers for why bad things have happened to Job and yeah. their answers are always blaming him. Well, yeah. you must have sinned. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what like the religious elite do in Jesus's life. Uh, they say these people have sinned and they are not deserving of healing. God wouldn't want them to be healed or forgiven. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so why are you doing that? It must be because you are part of Satan's plan or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. And so Jesus is trying to flip this. Uh, it's He's always trying to flip it. Like the man who's born blind. Right. And people are like, uh, why is he born blind? It must have been because he sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus is basically like, that's the wrong question. <laughs> the right thing to do is to heal. Right. Yeah, it's but it's the religious assumption. We um, this goes back as far as humanity goes back. Like, yes. it's right there in Deuteronomy 28. Like we look at each other's lives and circumstances and we judge their how they must have behaved um, based on where they're at in life, their lot in life, because we have the assumption that God blesses the righteous, typically us, <laughs> and and curses the wicked, typically them. And it's right there, you know, they use the analogy of rain and dust. The, 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 the righteous get rain, and rain is very important to crops and all that good stuff. You can't have life without rain. 
And, you know, it's said that that the wicked get dust. And mm. we we still kind of do that. We do that in the church. We do that in Christianity. Um, we do that with the LGBTQ community. We do that with like hurricanes and things like that. We, we still have this mindset. And it's um, it's kind of ironic that we use Jesus who flipped that whole thing or so we thought, uh, but we still do it today. George says the attempt to justify the suffering of the other is the source of all evil, says Levinas. That's really interesting. I yeah, I I I I would I'd have to read more of Levinas, but I I like that a lot. Yeah, I'll have to sit, I'll have to ponder that one. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh so so if I, what I would say from a uh, pastoral perspective is that if you are worried, Haley or anybody watching or listening to this, if you're worried that you may have committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't forget you haven't committed it. One of the things about the unforgivable sin uh, that you might become aware of if you have committed it is a sense that you are not in need of forgiveness. A sense that you uh, you have you you don't stand, or you're not in a place where you are even have ever committed any kind of sin that you would need to be forgiven for. I think that's when we cut ourselves off from for the forgiveness of God. And maybe what this passage is saying is not so much that God hasn't already forgiven you, because. When Jesus goes to the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So maybe it's that God has already forgiven us. But maybe the issue is we're not opening ourselves up to being forgiven, recognizing that we've hurt others and that we stand in need of forgiveness. Maybe that's the issue. Yeah. And and it's it's a, I, I like um the term unpardonable sin as well. I, I think that kind of gets to the heart of the matter too, because you have to, you have to think of it like this. And, and Thomas Talbot in his book, the inescapable love of God does a great job of this and thinking about like, there is in his view. And, and I still kind of hold to this view that God is a God who does correct and yeah. discipline just in the same way, in a loving and gracious way. Sure. And, and that's why I try not to use the word punishment because that has a we project our own anger and wrath onto that word. Um, so it's kind of like if, if a criminal is pardoned, then, then they don't need to be corrected. Right. So if someone is unpardoned there, there still needs to be correction that is done. So if you've blasphemed the Holy spirit, um, if you refuse to be forgiving and, and refuse to change your way of, of being, um, then there is there's something that needs to be corrected in you. You're not just going to be pardoned from that, and and that's how Talbot approaches it. And and as any of like and he's a universalist, as any of the uh, the ancient patristic universalists would argue, um, there's room for correction, you know, in the afterlife or after you die and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So and, and and you know this notion that if you don't believe in hell. Or, you know, if you don't believe in eternal torment, you don't believe in any sort of hell. That's just not true. Um, there, I think it would be quite quite hellish to realize how hardened you are to not forgive mm -hmm. other people. 
Yes. I think it would be kind of tormenting to realize if you've held grudges forever and, you know, it's to, to be confronted with that. It's not going to be comfortable. Yeah. I like what Paul says. Uh, is it in Corinthians? I can't remember where he says that uh, we will all walk through the fire and uh, the yeah. good things that we have built up will survive and all the, all the junk is going to be burned away. Yeah. I think that's first Corinthians three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. good stuff. Uh, Alexandra asks a uh, fun, provocative question. Uh, is abortion unforgivable? Uh, no. Would you like more? No. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, goodness, I, I like, I like the posture that you take, you know, it's, um, if you're if you're in such a way where you reject forgiveness, it's as if you're living from a place of unforgiveness. It's not that God is not forgiving. God is always forgiving. Yes. But if you reject it, it's as if you're you're uh, phenomenologically you're like you're experientially act as if it's not forgiveness. Um, I would I would also I would also not want to take too broad of a brush and say that all abortion needs forgiveness. Yes. I, I would, I, I, I'm speaking as a man here, not as a woman. So take it for what it is. Um, take anything I say with a grain of salt here. Um, but I mean, my goodness, if a woman has to make the decision between an abortion and, and stillbirth or something like that, I don't, I don't see how forgiveness is needed there. I mean, I, I've never had to make that terrible decision. A lot of women yeah. have. And I would never want to hold any sort of, well, you need to ask for forgiveness for that. Uh, so I, I would hesitate there. You look at uh, Deuteronomy. I think it's Deuteronomy uh, that says, uh, no, it's somewhere in Leviticus. And it says, if two men get in a fight and they happen to punch a woman who's pregnant and it creates a uh, stillbirth, uh, then uh, you just have to uh, pay restitution to the, woman for getting hit it doesn't treat the pregnancy as if it was a life yeah. uh and and in deuteronomy it talks about um uh if a woman uh is accused of being uh of of having an affair and she's pregnant she has to drink the dust from the temple floor some really weird yeah. rituals and stuff um so the bible is really ambiguous about what a pregnancy is Sure. Uh, and so it, when we're talking about abortion, I think it's important to keep in mind um, science, faith, uh, what the Bible says, what the Bible doesn't say. And also, if we really want to be pro-life, as, as Matt's getting at, uh, we need to be pro-life for, for those in the womb and those out of the womb. Uh, the horrific um, situation that women are in when men just leave uh, and uh, leave women and their um, children alone uh, to fend for themselves. We need to have uh, universal health care. We need to have universal uh, living wage for everyone if we really want to solve this issue. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think honestly, everyone's pro-life or, or, you know, yep. I mean, it's just like, how, okay, then that, then how do we, what's the mechanism and, and what are we really talking about? Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Melissa says, do you think Christians who lose their faith and become atheists are still forgiven and going to heaven? Uh, yes. 
Absolutely. I think, in fact, Matthew, I'll let you answer this question too. I think that a lot of atheists are closer to Jesus and God than many Christians. I mean, you just look at the current state that evangelicalism is in, and that's evidence enough for me that many atheists reject Christianity and might even reject Jesus for reasons that Jesus would be totally happy with them rejecting. Yeah. <laughs> many atheists are atheists, not primarily because of Jesus, but because of Christians and uh, what we are doing in the world. Uh, and I think evangelicalism is, an, is a good example of that. That's a really broad brushstroke. Sure. Uh, but Matthew, if you want to answer that question, well, I'll take a I'll take it a step further, and I, I I believe that you have to become an atheist of sorts to know God. Yeah, and um, I know Peter Rollins talks about this, and Jeff Turner. Um, I think we are given God concepts, and we conflate our God concepts, our theology, with God, and I think those theologies need to be questioned rigorously. And we, we need to become an atheist to our God concept so that we don't fall for the trap of worshiping our theology. Yes. In order to know God and know, and I don't mean data, I mean to know, to experience God without holding so tightly our God concepts. And we, we've been doing this, especially in Protestantism for so long. Like you talk about like what you have to believe in order to be a Christian, like the Westminster Confession of Faith. That thing is so long and there's so many dots and tittles and you got to cross yes. the T's and dot the I's and in order to be, it's just like, we have missed the point so much. And yeah. I will add to this. If you read Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the baby goats, I don't think this is arguing for eternal hell and eternal heaven, but if it is, it is the Christians or the so-called followers of Jesus who are the goats. And it is the people who don't know what they're doing in the name of God or Jesus. They're just doing it out of the kindness of their own heart. They're, they're visiting the prisoner. They're helping the widow. They're helping the poor and the blind and the sick. When you do that out of your own goodness and your own, your, the, what's good, just based for the sake of goodness without having God attached to it, you are one of the sheep. It's the people who say God and Jesus, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain and then not doing the things that he asks us to do. So both groups are confused yeah. in, in that parable. And that's to get us to think. Yep. Yeah. They say, when did we do that? And it gets to Alexandra's point here. Uh, she says that atheists are good for, uh, good not for reward, but for the purpose of being good. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, and uh, hopefully, ho uh, hopefully there are a lot of Christians who are who are doing that too. There um, are, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what else? What else you got? What else you got? Uh, Melissa says, "As a woman, I agree." So, um, that's awesome. There you go. We're well, good. Well, there you yeah. go. What else, what else you got about this unforgivable sin? Anything? Um. Well, I, I yeah, I would say that any of these passages that keep us up at night. I don't, I don't think Jesus is there to get to scare us. Yeah. I think Jesus is there to challenge us. And you have to remember a lot of these scary passages in the gospels, you have to look at who Jesus is talking to. The scary stuff is typically to the people who are beating people over the head with judgment, with you have to do this and you can't do that. And who are doing it themselves, always, right? <laughs> the most judgmental among us are probably doing the things 
um, behind closed doors that they're condemning. Um, we don't necessarily need to come up with examples, but you can think about the types of people yeah. who have been caught in scandals. They typically have a certain fire from the pulpit <laughs> that they're preaching. Um, and, and when he's talking to the so-called sinners, he does say to repent and change your mind and change your view and all that and go go and sin no more. But he's not he's not like condemning people. So there's a big difference. And he, I don't think he's condemning Pharisees and chief scribes and priests and all that. But he he uses it's like he uses their language and he flips it back on them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to get them to change. And he uses scary language sometimes, but it's typically from those who are really judgmental. So I think the takeaway is all the scary stuff, just don't be a judgmental prick and you're probably pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but damn it, Matthew, I am such a judgmental prick. Oh, me too. I, I understand that. And that's why Jesus challenges me to this day, even though I might be an unfaithful Christian or a faithful atheist. I'm not there sure. There you go. I like it. I like yeah. it. I, and that, I, and you know, when, when you've been talking, I've been thinking about uh, Meister Eckhart, the 13th century, who says, yeah. God, God rid me from God. Uh, mm. God rid me from my uh, understanding of of you so that it can be yeah. more expansive, more loving, more forgiving. As you started off talking about uh, the gospel of John, when Jesus in the resurrection breathes the Holy spirit onto his disciples, uh, he says, go and forgive, Yeah, forgive uh, so that people can be, can experience what forgiveness of God truly is. Uh, yeah. and so, um, that's, uh, that's, I think where we're at. We've got one more comment here. Katie says, I can relate to this chat so much. I'm so glad Katie. Good. Uh, I wanted to bring, uh, Matthew on because, uh, as I said in the intro, this is the second season of one question with pastor Adam. And in the first season, I brought Matthew on at about, uh, um, episode 10. So you can go check out more of, uh, more from Matthew there. You can also go check out Matthew at, uh, his podcast, uh, heretic happy hour and, uh, apostasy anonymous. Well, close. Apostates Anonymous. Apostates Anonymous. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to be a guest on there. You're the next one next Monday. I can't wait. And uh, check out Devoted a, as, you know what, and uh, All Set Free. And one of my favorites. This one is fantastic. Uh, heretic. Well, um, thanks. Yeah, you know what's awesome. funny? This you know one funny about that book is that uh, my focus group, my launch group, the first guy that got notes back to me said, don't publish this book. <laughs> awesome. Well, you've, you've gotten quite a few uh, recommendations on it. And uh, yeah. one of them is a perfect cocktail of disgusting lies right yeah. there. On the front cover. Yeah. Yeah. Nice so I took it. I took a different approach. Normally, you know, we get uh, endorsements from people who say nice things and I, I took a different approach and got some things from people that uh, didn't like the book so much and didn't like what I wrote about that, that made it into the book. So. But it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So, uh, Matt, thank you so much for being here. And yeah. thank you, everybody, for watching or listening. And thank you for your questions. And uh, join us, join me uh, next week at uh, 2 o'clock Central, 12 o'clock Pacific here on the Raven Foundation page or on the Clackamas UCC page. You can also check us out at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast from. So until next time, take care. Peace.